To the Brothers Book Club podcast. If you had recently or have recently listened to our highlights episodes for episodes 1 through 10 or 11 through 20, you'll find this episode pretty comforting because it's just me this week. It's just Travis. For those who don't follow our social media feeds, Instagram, or just follow my brother Ryan's Instagram, uh, he and his wife had a baby a little while ago. And he is well occupied. I think uh, he'll be, you know, having some odd hours here and there to read. But I don't think he was up for recording this week. Well, in fact, I know he wasn't because I spoke with him. Um, the baby's great. She's uh, She seems feisty and already, you know, as exciting and interesting as you'd hope. Um, and his wife's doing really well, too. We wish them all the best and send them all of our love. But yeah, he's just a little occupied and a little bit busy, so I think I'm going to try and go it alone this week. It is late on Sunday. I'm here with my copy of Trimalchio, ah, which I'm already struggling to pronounce. Let's go with Trimalchio. Trimalchio? Ah, either one seems valid, but let's go with Trimalchio for now. I'm here with my copy of Trimalchio's Feast, um, which is part of a larger and longer satire um, called Satyricon by Petronius. This is a Roman text, and that's what we're going to be reviewing, or what I'm using the royal we, of course, uh, what I will be reviewing this week and presenting, talking you through. I fully expect this episode to not go nearly as long as normal. I know that um, on the last few episodes, Ryan and I had started to hit over 30 minutes regularly, which we're okay with. We usually want to keep it around 30. But I think today should be much briefer, you know, maybe 15 minutes or so. I'll give you a quick overview of this text uh, and give you some general thoughts and contemplations. And perhaps you will be able to go pick up a copy after, or perhaps you should just avoid this one. We will uh, find out shortly. Let's get right into it. I think I'm going to start and keep the same format as usual, though I'm going to make a few tweaks along the way to our review format. This, for those who are just jumping in now on episode 21, this is a book review show where we are reading some classics, Penguin classics, and we're trying to recommend some and recommend avoiding others. Uh, I'm going to jump into my quick review. This Tremalchio's Feast, which is just a part of a larger text, felt like a really toned-down version of Caligula, which was a Roman history we had previously read and reviewed. If you want to go check that out before listening to this one, the connections will be pretty strong between them, not only even being that they're just both uh, Roman and deal with Roman history and Roman times. But this felt like a not nearly as critical version, critical in terms of criticism, not in terms of essential. Um, It's sort of just the most exhausting dinner party that you've never been to. It, It has screaming matches. It has far too many dishes that are all meat based, I guess, you know. Uh, frankly, this is still sort of a you know thing, but it's when you want to splurge, when you want to spend money and really shell out for a dinner party dish to impress people. Ancient Rome, I think that the move was to to meet, jump right to the meat, and you're you're making people impressed. Today, eh, maybe not as much, but anyway. And there's a lot of bizarre activities that go on in the feast or during the feast. There's little mini stage plays. There's bat taking baths. 
there's opening of old wines and all kinds of other things. It's just sort of this really extravagant, really um, wealthy party. Uh, he even at one point reads his own eulogy, eulogy, which we'll get into. So it is just sort of this bizarre collection of characters, though. Really, Tremalchio dominates the whole thing. Him and a couple of others really take up most of the page's attention and most of the narrative attention. So they're the ones that, you know, primarily you'll be thinking about, reading about. But it is an interesting assortment, um, and there are other characters that matter as well. And so if you're interested in that, in sort of just, just this Roman night of debauchery and almost kind of silliness in a way, though I think some parts uh, to me read as a little silly and to you probably would not, or to, to you, to, to an ancient Roman probably would not, it just comes across now as a little melodramatic. Um but that's the that's the basic gist, and I think if that collect if it a collection of people just sort of behaving questionably around a table intrigues you, and it's just sort of banter. It's very banter heavy. It's very dialogue heavy. I think this will entertain and entice a reader who who's interested in a book like that and a text like that. We're going to keep with the quotes this week, so I am going to run through some quotes. I think I'm going to call it, though, instead of just quotes for interest like we normally do and we kind of go back and forth, I'm just going to use quotes to clarify, and what I'm hoping is that by giving you these four quotes, or maybe I'm going to do three, that each will, in a way, represent the text, and so by presenting them, it's sort of, here's an overall look at what you could expect stylistically or thematically, or just, you know, what the material is like in this segment of the feast. So that's what I'm hoping the quotes will do. I guess we'll find out once I give them. Let's start with this one. Uh, Trimalchio, the main character, He fashions himself a poet, that's for sure. He would certainly consider himself to be an educated and contemplative man. He says as much at the dinner party, which I think, you know, I don't know if you agree with me, but any person who is flaunting themselves at a dinner party certainly is received in a specific way. I don't know if it's necessarily the way that that person wants themselves to be received. Um, So he has a quote on page nine that says, though he's just talking about mankind, but himself included, he says, oh, woe, woe is man, he is only a dot. Hell drags us off, and that is the lot. So let us live a little space, at least while we can feed our face. Uh, Which is just the best preview of the kind of dinnertime antics and just the sort of meal and the sort of feast that you can anticipate in this work. It is an assortment of revelers who are drunk, who get drunk to the point of not being able to speak at certain moments. The main character slash narrator doesn't speak very often in this text really at all, and they just sort of sit back and take it in, and the narration is internal, and they're just sort of, you know, enjoying the sights and sounds of the feast. And it just sort of is this drunken affair of people occasionally being really contemplative and then occasionally being too drunk and then occasionally uh, a, a pig gets gored in the middle of the feast, but the pig is dead and birds come flying out. It's just absurdities and excesses all over. And so, yeah, that's a, it's a good, that quote weirdly summarizes the text in kind of a beautiful way. The next one is sort of a Tremalchio quote that I tried to pull one from him that I think, again, perfectly sums him up. On page 19, he says, me now, he said, 
I don't have a bath every day. It's like getting rubbed with fuller's earth having a bath. The water bites into you and your heart begins to melt. But when I've knocked back a hot glass of wine and honey, go fuck yourself, I say to the cold weather. I, and that's, I mean, credits to the translation F-bomb in there. That's uh, quite impressive and I think probably fitting due to, you know, based on how the Tremalchio is received at the dinner, based on how other people approach him and deal with him. Just putting the, uh, putting the fuck in there just really sells that quote. Uh, I also found that quote maybe the most relatable thing he said in the entire book. I think any of us who grew up in cold weather climates can kind of feel that quote in our bones um though i don't know warm wine and honey i have had a few kind of like spiced wine dishes does that a dish drinks spiced wine drinks that are extremely enjoyable um i don't know if they've had honey in them though but i i suppose i kind of agree with him on that i'm guessing more of an uh, apple cider or hot chocolate kind of person um but i think that sentiment is the most relatable for me in the entire book. It also, again, keeps up the idea of him being a much more uh, amenable person, you know, while he's drunk. They spend the entire, you know, affair drinking, and that sort of feeds into the rampant debauchery of the party. And I think, too, it the, the drink-to-eating ratio at this dinner party is, is discussed in the narrative a couple of times, where they think, have we not been drinking enough, or is there too much food now? That's just crucial considerations for any person at any dinner party ever. You have to be weighing your drinks against your food intake. You don't want to be too stuffed. You don't want to be too boozed. I mean, this is an ancient consideration, and I think, I don't know if this quote raises it, but I think the quote shows just how often they're considering, you know, well, am I drunk enough to do this? Am I, you know, intoxicated enough to enjoy this? And I guess that's the bath for him. Um... Baths are terrible. Also, I, I don't I don't think my reasons for disliking baths are the same as his, that the water bites into you. Uh, though, hey, we have a lot of benefits these days, modern modern heating, modern cooling, you know. And so I, I don't think my reasons are the same as his. But we do find common ground in uh, disliking a bath. Showers, man. Let's keep it efficient. Let's be efficient about this. The third quote, here that I've pulled is another quote from Tremalchio that I, th- I think this is probably the most complimentary quote in the text maybe I, f- I felt anyway towards him that maybe and again the, the satire of this the humor and the comedy of it didn't always strike me as super evident I think a lot of that as usual we've talked about this on the podcast before just relies on certain knowledge of historical events and references to kind of get where the joke is. I mean, often, you know, comedy satire is so socially situated within a context. And so if you're outside of that context, if you're, you know, a literal outsider, like I would be, you know, thousands of years off the, off the plot, um, that sometimes it's just hard to discern when the joke is being made. But I thought this compliment seems sincere. This The way he presents himself in this quote seems sincerely, I don't know, flattering or impressive. He says on uh, 23, None of us was born solid. I think there's nothing so tormenting as holding yourself in. That's the one thing even God Almighty can't object to. And he is, of course, referencing taking a shit there. That's, I wanted to save that until the end. He's talking about going outside to the bathroom or maybe inside and relieving himself. I think in that way, the quote is direct, vulgar, and perhaps just a touch wise, which 
kind of permeates the entire text. You're never, at least I was never sure if the, the text was fully just sort of dunking on him and, and taking, you know, pokes and jabs at him. I think it does a lot of the time, but then I don't know, a quote like that isn't the least wise thing. It's just not very tactful. It doesn't have a lot of grace to it, that quote. Um, which I think maybe is the point. If it if this ends up in the end being a text that is meant to satirize the new wealth, which we'll get to in a minute, then that quote certainly stands up as one where you think uh, he just doesn't know how to properly behave in high society, high Roman society, and he doesn't know the topics to broach or not to broach. But I kind of stand with him on this, though. You know, maybe don't bring it up as you go to the bathroom, right? You can just everyone just kind of silently non-agree. I don't think there's any need to bring it up. Next time, Tremalchio, yeah. And I think that's those are all the quotes that I wanted to include. I think three is a good amount, and I'm checking the time. Seems like the right amount of time. I decided to do a little bit of light research instead of our normal author-to-author connection section, just because that only works well when Ryan and I both can kind of reference the things from before, and I just thought this would be a little more entertaining for me to do on my own. Um, I used Wikipedia at first, as any great 21st century researcher should do, to just find references that use Tremalchio and to see what the sort of literary history or the general like history of him being referenced in culture. There's a lot of it. He's got a pretty strong, you know, not half bad Wikipedia page. I think the most important reference that jumped out to me, though, the one that probably for most of you listeners, if I know our audience even a little bit, would be would be the references to The Great Gatsby, which uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald named his working title of uh, The Great Gatsby, Tremalchio in West Egg, which is the neighborhood where that story takes place. That was his working title. So the allusion there in the title character, incredibly strong. He must have felt, you know, quite strongly about Tremalchio and what he represented and how he could sort of transpose that to American society and turn it into a critique on American life. The similarities are pretty startling. Again, we've in the past on the podcast have sort of made jokes about, oh, that would make a good thesis, or you know, that's you know, if you're in college, do that. There's your paper idea. This comparison, or the sort of how these two critique elements of society in their own way, in their own contexts, that yeah, quite literally is a paper just waiting to be written, and probably has been written, or uh, you know, maybe has been formally published or something. But that, I think, jumped out to me by far the most. It was the reference that I immediately recognized. If, again, the Satyricon or this Tremalchio's Feast is meant to be some sort of satirizing, you know, critiquing the, the new rich, the new money, the new wealth who kind of jump into society and act poorly and behave badly, then, yeah, there's just rich, rich comparisons there. If you love The Great Gatsby or something, or if the themes, content of that intrigue you, this is probably would be like a must read then because it's just a Roman, you just transport yourself back to Rome and it's a pretty similar scenario without the, there's no romance to it. Um, though, in fact, there actually kind of is in the back end. So I won't spoil that, but there actually there kind of is in a way. So never mind. Maybe it's a perfect comparison in a sense. I decided to use a book by Mary Beard, who's a, um, I think she's English or British anyway, um, a scholar, and her book SPQR came out a few years ago, kind of this monumental work collecting a lot of kind of new and updated impressions and interpretations of Roman history, and it's sort of a definitive, quote-unquote, work about 
classical era and Roman history and all of that. I it's one that sat on my sat on my shelf for years. I've read chapters here and there. I've kind of picked at it, but I've just never sat down to fully get through it. I've definitely read less than half of it. That's for certain. Uh, but I was hoping she would have some references to Tremalchio, and she did. She had one paragraph in particular. I will try not to read the whole thing, though it has tons of interesting context and details. And I think for research, this um, this will stand out. And again, for the F. Scott Fitzgerald Great Gatsby connection, it's just incredibly strong here. So let me read some from the Mary Beard SPQR, and um, yeah, I think you'll see the and hear the connections pretty clearly. Those who became wealthy from nothing were equally the objects of snobbish derision as jumped up a... Re- oh, man, see? Already, Mary Beard, with an impressive word I don't know. A revis? I don't even know. Well, their their jumps their up jump starts, so there you go. The character Tremalchio, the Nueva rich ex-slave and Petronius' satiricon, who has made his fortune trading everything from bacon and perfume to slaves, who, yeah, he's an ex-slave, I didn't mention that yet. I should have. That, that definitely comes up a lot in the text, or at least comes up a few times. He treats his uh, workers and slaves, of which he, or of whom he has many, uh, very strangely kind of teases and taunts them but then doesn't and then showers them with love it, he's clearly very psychologically conflicted about the, the whole thing anyway um, he is simultaneously engaging in ghastly fictional parody of a man with more cash than good taste who repeatedly gets proper elite behavior slightly wrong he, he keeps and these are all specific realm things that I definitely did not pick up on it that when I was reading it so this is helpful context he keeps his own slaves in rather too vulgar designer uniforms the walls of his house are boastfully decorated with paintings that tell the story of his career from the slave market to his current splendor that i actually thought i I wasn't even sure if that was critical I, i thought it was critical of his character showing his arrogance and showing his bravado i just didn't know that that would be like a faux pas in ancient rome i it would probably should be a faux pas in any society to have your own not to have your own art of your own making, but art de- portraying you on a wall is just extra tacky. That I think that holds up fine. And then finally, at the dinner party, he hosts an impossible combination of every Roman fancy food, which is definitely true. This is my favorite detail, I think. To a wine that was well over 100 years old, vintage, vintage 121 BCE, when up Opimius, Opimius was consul. The ignorant Tremalchio presumably does not realize that the name of the diehard conservative who in 121 BCE had 3,000 supporters of Gaius Gracchus put to death and hardly an auspicious name for a vintage, even if wine lasted that long anyway. So he's kind of a double the fool on that one. That wine's probably a fake. And that's the, that's the light research that I think provides just a touch of context for the sort of social situation of this text and sort of the social situation of the story. And even a short paragraph or a paragraph like that taught me three or two or three crucial things that just made reading this make a lot more sense in retrospect. Things I just thought were little character tweaks were actually, I don't know, seem to have some meaningful societal references, as is always the case when you're reading something this old. So let's use that as the segue to the review. I think... You'll love this if you love Ancient Rome. That might be the most obvious fill-in-the-blank that we've done for reviews like that, but if you're curious about Ancient Rome, or if you enjoy the history of it, or if you're just knowledgeable, or even if you're not and you're just willing to, again, research, Google, read this Mary Beard book or something like it, 
I think you would probably enjoy this. It it has enough specificity to feel unique and distinct. Um, just make sure you go into it knowing like, oh, this is going to be a parody of, of someone. This is going to be a person to be laughed at, not to be taken too seriously. That I think helps. Um, it is definitely heavy on the discussions. And this is the kind of story without naturalistic dialogue. Every piece of dialogue is a s- more speech than conversation. It's not meant to be subtle. I think characters here are mouthpieces for points of view that in a pretty obvious way. And, you know, the story has a ton of absurdities in it that you kind of have to just kind of laugh along to and enjoy in a sense if you really want to, I suppose, like get the full pleasure out of reading this. I think it's a solid two uh, in that regard. We use a rating system here between one and three, one being skip this, three being you must read this, and then two is, of course, the middle ground qualified recommendation and i think that's quite fitting for this one it's if you're a fan of ancient rome roman history or even just a fan of parody if you enjoy comical works and this one will take you out of your depth and take you out of your normal comic comfort zone then yeah i think this is a pretty good parody it definitely had moments that i thought were pretty funny um and then you know moments too that i again without some context would not have understood fully I don't think if you love F. Scott Fitzgerald, you would love this. The Just the structure of it and the narrative trappings are not like The Great Gatsby. But then again, it is a pretty clear critique in a certain light of new money, new wealth. And so in that way, there's a huge thematic or a, a strong, anyway, thematic connection across the ages. Kind of an interesting one. And that, I think, is going to wrap us up this week on the Brothers Book Club podcast. I, on East Coast time anyway, have not made it in time. It's a little past midnight here uh, for Sunday night, so I almost kept to the timeline but didn't quite get there this week. Apologies for that. But you'll have this for your Monday morning commute, so hopefully that's when you're listening to it. Ryan may or may not be back this week. It's 100% touch and go, as you know, understandably uh, it should be. And so maybe I'll be back with a solo episode. I've been reading the text for next week, which has a title so long that I'm not even going to bother to try and read it or remember what it is. It's something about a butcher's dog. They are, it's a collection of German fables, uh, which so far are extraordinarily boring, though there have been eh, a couple intriguing ones in there, just enough to keep me engaged. We'll see when I finish it. It's still pretty early, so who knows what's buried in there. So that'll be coming up next week. Again, it, may be a, it might, be, might be a solo pod. It might not be. We will play it again by ear. Thank you so much for listening. Um, hopefully this was at least somewhat smooth. There's some editing to be done. Uh, Tremalchio, you got the best of me this week, I think, but uh, I enjoyed it. It was fun. Thanks for listening to this week's solo podcast. I hopefully will not have to make this a habit, but am happy to. Um, The reviews wait for no man, woman, or child. They're going to keep coming at a steady rate. Uh, One per week is still the goal. If you want to follow us on Instagram, we are uh, at The Stumped, and that's our Twitter account too, which I think I'll start doing more posts to. We usually post some art, or at least I do. I put some uh, ink stuff on the Instagram for The Stumped. So if you're intrigued by that or you want to see some art to match the text for the week, come check us out. Our email is at onthestumped1 at gmail.com. That's onthestumped1 the number one at gmail.com feel free to email us questions which we could include in the pod if you have any or just you know general comments or criticisms we're open to those as well thanks again for listening and uh, as ryan would say we will see you next week between the classics